Time for the morning brief, and Tim Hudak is here, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now with the Ontario Real Estate Association. You guys have a big party planned today, don't you? It's an exciting day. I mean, I start off with more in the morning, patrolling the morning brief. What better way to kick off the day, John Moore? And then I'm heading to the Harbor Castle. It's um, an exciting day for us at the Ontario Real Estate Association because it's our annual, we call it Powerhouse Conference. So it's where the world of politics and real estate come together. Our realtor members are in attendance and then later meet with MPPs to talk about getting more affordable homes built for families and raising the bar when it comes to professionalism. And I get to play a special role. So I get to interview Premier Ford today and Minister McCarthy, who is a consumer minister in Ontario. Uh, and at the end of the day, Boris Johnson, the former UK prime minister, making his first appearance in Canada since leaving politics, takes a stage at Aria Powerhouse. That is going to be interesting because um, he hasn't been heard of a great deal since he stepped down as prime minister, but he's always been a colorful figure. Yeah, colorful for sure. I mean, a rich history as a, a, an MP and minister, a rubble within his own uh, conservative caucus, mayor of London, the prime minister of, uh, of Great Britain that said he would get Brexit done. Uh, some some scandals involved too, but emerging now, you know, in the post-politics life, charismatic, entertaining individual. And what's particularly exciting for us at the Powerhouse Conference, John, and if listeners want to attend, I mean, it starts at 9 o'clock today. They can go to Orea, O-R-E-A, Orea Power powerhouse.com. He was big on housing. So our planning system here in Ontario is based on the British system. He encountered the same type of, you know, runaround, red tape, high cost to get homes built. And as part of his leveling up policy to try to get more people into Britain's middle class, he made an extraordinary effort to get homes built, speed up that approval process and had a lot of success. So I plan on focusing a lot today what we can learn from the UK and getting more homes built. Okay, so let's talk about the big stuff in the news, and uh, this really is a big deal. Toronto and the province reaching a deal yesterday, and it's billions of dollars for Toronto, and it's a reconfiguration of responsibilities for the province. Yeah, I'm tremendously excited about this. I think it's a win-win, and I'll tell you about a third win as well. It shows that Premier Ford has a a very... uh, compelling ability to make deals with people that may not be on the same side of the aisle. So here with a new Democrat identified mayor, you might remember too with John Tory, initially they were pretty frosty, right? Their relationship because of the history of the city and he got things done with the mayor. This is huge though. Let me tell you why it's a win-win-win. Well, it's a a win for the city, obviously. That's going to take uh, $7.6 billion in capital costs for the Gardner and the Don Valley off the city's back. I think that's good for drivers as well to fuse that in with the provincial system. You're looking at $1.2 billion in support for transit, getting more police and security on transit, paying for 55 new trains for the Eglinton Crosstown, and funds to run Finch and Eglinton. And the, I guess the city will still try to run some science activities at the old place for the science center. So very good for the city. And from the province's point of view, the city will actually not get in the way of the Ontario Place redevelopment. Very important to the Premier personally and the PC caucus, moving the science center as well. And this is what, another reason why I'm really excited. The city of Toronto is going to exceed, as part of this deal, its housing targets. They've been given a task, John, of 285,000 homes to be built over the next 10 years. So they commit to doing that, densifying around transit stations. It's one thing that Orea has pushed for, and using surplus city lands and buildings to turn into housing. They've done that in New York City to the tune of 160,000 homes. We could do that easily in the city of Toronto as well. So it's a win for the city. It's a win for Premier Ford, clearly. And it's a win for tax taxpayers as a result for more homes, more efficient transportation. And my third win, mm-hmm. 
This is something I called for back when I was PC leader and a bylaw. You mentioned the mayoral campaign. It's, it's just kind of fun, something that I talked about years ago. I had a bit of traction then, but not enough to actually see this get done with both of my hats on. So the, the, this uploading of the major highways, fantastic. I would believed that for some time. You, can, you marry that with a housing commitment. So, you know, personally, it's a good day for Tim Hudak as well. Okay. Now, without getting too processed, how big a concession is it for Olivia Chow to give up on Ontario place? I think it is a significant concession, but it's worth the trade-off. I mean, here's why. I, I w- was not a Chow voter. I believe that Ontario Place needs to be redeveloped and get out of the ghost town that it currently occupies. But I know that uh, there's a number of followers I suspect would probably be Chow-accessible voters who wanted a different vision for Ontario Place and, and quite frankly, just like Doug Ford, and we're looking for a fight on this. So she's sacrificing some of those votes. But, you know, first in what will be a three-year campaign, this is what it gives her in return. So she's going to have a lot more fiscal room for an agenda that she wants to pursue. She's going to get more uh, homes built uh, at the end of the day uh, and actually help get transit working. So sometimes, you know, in politics, when you make big deals like this, there is real politic involved. Bit of a rough ride to begin with, but I think ultimately this will pay off for Mayor Chow as well. New survey concludes that half of Ontarians are staying home and socializing less. And I guess this kind of informs that study we've been talking about for the last week about how people are getting lonely. Yeah, I guess they, they both they both contribute, right? Um, I mean, housing costs are part of this. The article talks about, I think, too, that a number of us got in, in the habit of staying home more often, which can be good or it could be bad, depending on, you know, how far you cross that line coming out of the COVID crisis. Yeah, I, I found, too, that when we emerged from that shadow, you missteps along the way. People had moved off to the jobs. They had to change in their family relationships, right? And there's a bit of distance that you need to overcome, so I get that. But, man, the, the main driver, that the, the Devon I see, like you, you, restaurants and entertainment, the, the costs have gone through the roof for what's pretty common entertainment for, you know, adults and, and older teens uh, is, as well. And as a result, when you've got, Higher interest rates, putting pressure on mortgage if you own a home or rent if you're renting, and it costs, you know, not twice as much. It seems like 50% as much to go to a restaurant. I get it why people are staying home. Okay, well, speaking of money, a new survey in the United States establishes that millennials think you need to make $500,000 a year to be happy. Um, just if anybody's taking notes, that would put you in the 1%. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but that would be bad. I, I can I can appreciate the the aspiration. I, I, that they say money can't buy happiness, but I don't know, John. It makes a lot of things that can make you happy, and it's certainly it's certainly better than than the alternative. You know, it's interesting when um, there's studies that are comparing the generations on how much they would need to be happy, whether that's annual income. And yep, you said it, put you in the one percent, but you can always hope for the best. Uh, but how much that you would need for for net wealth and millennials or what? around $1.3 million in in assets. I think boomers were slightly less than that. And interestingly, uh, Generation uh, Z was, you know, half of that. I think, what, about $500,000 they thought would be, you know, enough uh, as as sort of your assets to be happy. But I'm guessing that's because they don't have mortgage payments or kids yet. I think you got to be much closer to what millennials and Gen Xers say they need. Yeah, there was a really interesting feature, actually, just a couple of weeks ago in the Globe and Mail, where they pro profiled some young people in their 20s and early 30s, and they all earn $100,000 a year. 
and they're barely getting by. And the whole focus of it was not a you know pity party for people who make a pretty good dosh, but it was about the fact that we used to think $100,000 meant you were rich. And now, especially in Toronto, it just means you're going to get by. Yeah, I mean, you'd be lucky if you can make it, you know, living in the parents' basement. It is so true, or that being a huge figure. When I was in my my 20s, and uh, I I can't imagine the pressures today. I mean, look at grocery bills, look at inflation. If you're trying to get into a a home, you don't have a shot in a major city at that level of income. Let me me add a a point here that I don't think enough people are talking about. Well, well, last week, John, we saw the Trudeau government make some moves to get more homes built, especially rentals and affordable rental properties. You're seeing a federal government taking action uh, in that direction, but the federal agencies are actually pushing in the opposite. The Bank of Canada is strangling us with interest rates. The underlying inflation rate when you take up mortgage and housing costs is only 1.9%. It's time for them to ease up on you know, putting the brakes on the economy. And then another institution called OSFI, which looks out for the banks, for example. They've actually made it harder and harder for people to invest in new homes. So you have the government in one direction trying to get affordable homes built, but the unelected officials in the agencies, they're pulling twice as hard in the opposite direction. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Have a great uh, convention. Thanks, John. Have a great day yourself. That's Tim Hudak from the Ontario Real Estate Association.